Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. One, two. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? It's 2019. Can we get our howl on really quick, please? Can y'all, can y'all just do this for me just, just this morning? It's the first service of the year. Can we please get our howl on really quick? On the count of three, can we hit that? I'm talking about howl at the moon real quick. Y'all ready? One, two, three. Howl! All right. All the people who are new here, I know you think we're weird. But we're not strange. Listen. Please move forward for me. Please, please, please move forward. If y'all don't mind, move forward. I know it's frustrating to have to move, but the energy feels better when everybody kind of comes to the front. You don't got to come sit on the front seat, you know what I'm saying? But move up, scoot up a little something. All right, make sure you're close enough to a neighbor where you could get a fist bump and everything, all right? All right, everybody had a good New Year? Did y'all see the MLK announcement for the parade? Who's, who's done the parade with us before? Is the parade not crazy or what? Make sure you have your face in the place. Do you understand? Because we're going to be rolling down the street, bumping the base, all right? Y'all got to be there, all right? MLK Parade, y'all got to be there. All right. So if you're new here, my name is Pastor Jay Harris. If you're not new, you've seen me a million times, and I get ugly about a week, and, but the Lord is good still regardless. We're going to get into our sermon um, it's new year, new gear, all right? I don't know if you saw the announcement, but we talked about it's 2019, it's a brand new year, and it's time to kind of switch gears or whatever, right? Like, I talked about people kind of being in like, yo, every year it's like, I'm going to get on my grind, I'm going to get on my grind, I'm going to get on my grind, but people seem like they're kind of stuck in their grind and they grind in the gear. So like, what does it look like to actually go into a new gear? Like, what gear is God calling us into? So like, last Sunday, our last service of the year, we talked about the presence of the Lord. We're going to do the same thing this week. We're talking about the presence of the Lord because that's the gear to be in. It's plain and simple, all right? And so last year we had, I mean, excuse me, last week, well, it actually was last year, wasn't it? <laughs> Crazy out of mind is just. So last year, a week ago, we talked about the presence of the Lord. And I'm going to actually, I'm going to almost preach the exact sermon I did because um, we had very little people here, and I want to preach it again because I want everybody to hear it, and I want you to hear it enough to be able to go say it to people. Listen, I'm not trying to get a, you know, I'm not trying to double dip on you. I'm not trying to get a two for one on the sermon. I'm, I'm going to add some more to it, but I'm going to hit some of the stuff exactly the same way because I just couldn't escape it. It was just on my heart really, really heavy, and I think our church really, really needs it. And, like, I just, I'm completely in this place where I feel like God is just calling us into his presence. There's a lot of different things we could put on task and on list to work on this year, but like none of that stuff really means nothing at all if we are not enjoying the presence of the Lord. All that stuff pours out of it. Y'all get where I'm coming from? So like it's important. So I'm going to try to convince you. Like I know some of y'all probably got New Year's resolutions, right? Anybody got New Year's resolutions? People still do that? All right, a couple people do it. Some of y'all got them, but you're just shamed because you're like, yo, I ain't going to eat crazy or whatever and all that, but you probably already had like, you know what I'm saying, like a Publix carrot cake or whatever. And you're just like, I got one, 
but it's, I'm still going into it. So it's okay, it's all right, it's all right. I'm going to try to convince you that the presence of the Lord, being planted in his presence, is the best thing we can do this year, all right? And that's all I'm going to try to do. So I'm going to bombard you with scriptures and all that stuff. And I'm going to go kind of fast because I kind of have a lot of content, all right? So y'all with me? Y'all ready to do this? All right. I even wrote a little, little rhyme or whatever, a little rap, a little... I got inspired while I was working on the sermon, had a couple bars hit me or whatever I had to write down. I'm not playing with you neither. I'm going to spit a little something. I ain't going to spit too much, but just a couple bars. Anyway, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father, Lord God. We thank you for Jesus Christ, Father, Lord. We thank you for your son, for opening our eyes to this marvelous light, Father. God, we pray this year to be compelled and drawn into this place with you, into your presence. Pray, Father, Lord, that we would have such a craving, we wouldn't forfeit it for nothing at all. I pray that everything that the world keeps flashing us with, Instagramming us with, Snapchatting us with, Facebooking us with, saying that this is better, this is more beautiful, that you would overwhelm us in a way that we would swat it down and be like, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. So, Father, Lord, help us decrease, Lord, that, that you would increase, Father, Lord, that you would increase in our hearts. And, 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 and we, don't, we don't afford ourselves with this righteousness on our own or, or with this craving on our own, Father, Lord. We are begging for you to do a work inside of our soul that craves for you, that draws us towards you, Father, Lord. This is our ask, Father, Lord, as a church this year. All the details are just details. This is what matters the most, us being with you, because it affects us being with us. So we praise you and we thank you for that, Father Lord, that you've even put this desire to ask this in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm going to talk quick, and I'm hitting you with mass scriptures, so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and get your thumb wet or do whatever you do, all right? If you got your phone, do what you do. All right, Psalms 84. This is what we hit last week. I'm going to hit it again. And then this right here, whatever, we are, I'm just going to read it to you. And then I'm going to break down some things about it, right? But like Psalms 80, 84 is basically like it is the, the we, we see David or either Solomon. Because some scholars have debated who actually wrote this, right? We see them longing for the presence of God. And so I just want to use this as an example before we go into everything else. I want you to hear what they have to say about the presence of the Lord, all right? And then we're going to kind of extract it a little bit. But it says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may, may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. And they go through the valley of Baca and they make, a, make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness, of the wicked, of wickedness. For the Lord God is, God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Straight off the bat, verse 1, right? You look at verse 1 and you look at verse 2 or whatever. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. I want you to think about it really quick. If we are talking about King David writing this right here, right? And I'm going to tell you the truth. I've told you this before. When I used to read, like, Psalms and stuff, I used to actually think David sounded like a straight punk. Like, because it just, like, was too romantic. And I'm like, ew. Like, that's how I used to feel, like, reading this stuff or whatever. And then, like, as I started walking out my walk with God and he started breaking the brother down, I used to be, like, reading it, weeping, like, oh, Lord. Thus, Father from heaven, pour down your rain upon my wretched soul. Like, I started getting the brother real serious. I was like, oh, now I feel you, David. Now I'm with you, my brother. I, I get where you're coming from, right? But, like, you got to think about it. We just read this stuff, and we think it's just a fly poem or something, right? But, like, he is actually bearing his soul out. But I got to ask myself, why does a brother like David, gangster king, king, right, cutting off heads, doing everything he does, we hear about him in the Old Testament, why is he so broken and craving the presence of God, right? You got to think about David's story. You got to put it in context. If this is David, you're talking about a man who he's basically saying, if I'm not in the presence of God, then even my best friend is liable to get killed. His wife get took. My children are going to be dying. Do you get where I'm coming from? Y'all know David's story, right? He's saying like, God, if I don't have your presence, Everybody is in jeopardy. You understand where I'm coming from? This is why the presence is so juicy for him. If it's Solomon, because like I said, scholars debate who actually wrote this piece. If it's Solomon, then we're talking about Solomon saying, I've experienced, I'm the richest man in the world. He's experienced every pleasure, every food. He's built, he's done all these amazing things. And Solomon is saying, there is nothing in this world. He says it's a chasing of the wind. It actually means nothing. You can build all the status up and everything, and it'll be cute for a minute, but after you sit in a while, it's nothingness. And he is saying the presence of the Lord is where it's at. Do you all get where I'm coming from? All right. They would literally sum it up and say, life is only life when you're in the presence of the Lord. Right? Let me read John 1.12 to you. It says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is talking about people, just a little snippet, people who become followers of Christ. When people actually come into their sinfulness and their wretchedness and their need for God and they follow Jesus Christ, he gives them the right to become children of God. The reason I'm making this point to you because when we look at um, Psalms 84, you got two men who are kings, Status, power, everything. And nevertheless, their maturity looks like them becoming more childlike. You with, you with me on that? Like, like, your maturity following Jesus Christ and walking before him and this craving for his presence, your maturity is not going to look like you getting to a place where, like, I'm grown now and I'm finally independent. You understand? Are y'all awake? Tap your neighbor real quick. Hit somebody in the arm. 
All right. Make sure we awake. If you couldn't reach nobody, it's because you stayed in the back and I told you to move up. All right. So disobedience, see? All right. But God gives us the right to be children of God. You know what the hardest thing to convince my kids is? To convince them that they actually need me to tell them what to do. Right? So they're in that place where they're like, yo, Dad, why can't I play video games for 14 hours straight? I just don't get it. And I'm like, you can't do that because your brain is turning to mush and you're out here or whatever. What's the game everybody's playing? Yo, you're on Fortnite. You, you threaten to, to shoot. You, got, you know about more guns than I do. I'm like, it's a problem. You know what I'm saying? And so there's this thing where, like, their rebellion looks like I want to do what I want to do. But, like, they're at a place. They're in a place of neediness where they need me as their father to actually guide them. Right? That's the safest place for them to be at. That's what we see in the scripture. Like, the maturity factor here is, like, the safest place is being in the presence of God in a childlike place, being a child of God, being led by God. Does that make sense to everybody? So, like, I, I mean, I think, I, I think David and Solomon have credibility with us. I think kings, right, that they, they should have credibility with us, right? But the thing is, we get caught up in so many things. In John 6, 25 or whatever, right after Jesus feeds everybody with the loaves and the fish and everything, um, Jesus is, is chilling somewhere off of some coast, and a bunch of people who were there eating the food, they come and they find Jesus, right? And they roll up on him. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Jesus is so gangster. Just listen. Rabbi, when did you come here? They said, all oh, nice, whatever. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God, ha God the Father has set his seal. This scripture is so interesting right now because I think when we look at church right now and we think about Americanized cultural Christianity, it does this thing where we actually set ourselves, like we end up like in this gear where we're just grinding gears. We're not going forward or backward, right? Like you can actually sit in church and you don't have to have, you don't have to lean in with an intentionality for, for the presence of God or growing closer to God. You can actually just find a spot and just kind of, it gets really, really strange. It gets really strange sometimes, right? Like I done been in churches where I'm like, man, it's my church. But then my homeboy's like, yo, I want to come to church with you. I'm like, nah. Well, um, the way my church is set up, it's not even something I want to bring anybody into. Right? But everybody would swear to God that they're Christians. But in 35, Jesus says, he says, I am the bread of life. Come to me. It says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There, there is a, there's not a middle ground there, right? There is, this, there is this thing where like we are at the feet of Jesus and we are desperately in need of his grace and mercy. Or there's this other thing where we've gotten cute and forgot how broken we are, right? That's the dangerous place when we're on coasting mode. 
That's what I, that's what I want to convince you out of t- today. All of us. Like, I feel like God is leaning on me with that. I don't want to do that this year. I don't want to do that for me. I don't want to do it for my family. I don't want our church to do it. And I'm 100% convinced because it's inside of the word right here that like the best place, the best life for us now is at the feet of Jesus. It's in the presence of the Lord. Is anybody with me on that? All right. Okay. It's the best place for us. Going back to Psalms 84. In verse 6 it says, as they go through the valley of Bacah. Anyway. It's an inside joke. Anyway, the Valley of Bacah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from string to string. Each one appears before God in Zion. The Valley of Bacah comes from a Hebrew word that means to weep, right? So what we're actually seeing in the scripture, they're talking about the presence of the Lord, and then they're trying to convince you about how amazing the presence of the Lord is, and they're like talking about the Valley of Bacah. They're saying when, as the people of God, even when we go through this valley of weeping, God is still springing forth beautiful things. We're still going from strength to strength. I'm telling you that because the presence of the Lord is where the good stuff is at. You get what I'm saying? You know how car salesmen, Ronnie, you know how I go. You know how a car, you be like, yo, baby, we got this thing. We got the cherry red right here, AC back here, da, da, da. They hit you with all the bells and whistles. They're going through Psalms 84, and they're hitting us with the bells and whistles. So you're telling me, because there's no such thing as not having hardship in life. You got to go hide real, real far from everything in the real world. But like God is not saying I'm going to remove hardship from you. He's saying that I will make it where you're even in the hard places you go through, that I will take you from glory to glory. I will be with you in the midst of it. Something still will be springing forth in even the dry places in your life. Y'all ever been in that zone where you're like, God, I just don't really feel you like that right now. You understand what I'm saying? Even that place makes a believer rich, right? Even that place makes a believer rich. Sometimes whatever, I'll take my kids and I'll put them up on something and I'll just step away from them a little bit because I want to see them jump for me. Do you get where I'm coming from? They, they learn how to jump and then they learn I'm going to catch them. You understand? So even in this valley, even in this rough place, it's still a rich place for us. Who doesn't, want to, who doesn't want that? Verse 10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. We're still in Psalms 84. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I read this to you last week. John Calvin says it like this. He says, he would rather be cast into a common and unhonored position, provided he were among among the people of God, than exalted to the highest rank of of honor among believers. He'd rather be a foot washer in the house of the Lord. See, you got to contend with something right now. Like, personally, you got to be asking yourself the question, like, I want you to think about some of the complaints you lodge against church and what church is and all the different things about church and everything else. And then, like, I want you to take, let this scripture and what they're saying right here in Psalms 84, let it mess with your heart a little bit. Let it mess with where you're at positionally, right? This isn't about us, like, getting cute while we're listening to this. We're like, mm, those people, they need to get, they st- oh, I know. Mm. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me being halfway in, dragging my feet, instead of acting like God got it all popping. You get where I'm coming from? I'm talking about like God is weary 
with us being in this kind of playing church mode. So 2019, we got to switch into a new gear. Y'all get where I'm coming from? It says this. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Who in the world would not want to be up under that kind of love? So my question is to, uh, to you and to me, I'm like, why would we halfway? Either we, either we think God's a liar or we're a sucker for pain. I think I'm a sucker for pain. I'm foolish like that. I'm foolish like that. Like, even though God is like, I got it all for you. Whatever you ask of me, I got it pop. It, we'll, we'll make it happen. You my child or whatever. I, I, it's, it's, it's whatever you want. I'm still foolish enough to go run the other way to do what I want to do. Still that foolish, that sinful. And this is the exact reason, whether it's David or, or, or Solomon, this is the reason they're writing like this. Because they're like, God, I am that crazy enough to run the other way, and that's why I need your presence. Y'all with me so far? All right, I'm going to read Psalms 1. Psalms 1 says this, read verse 1 through 3. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, his law, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Who wants to be planted by the streams? Who wants it? Say something. Y'all want to hear my rhyme? It's just real short, all right? If this goes bad, it's going to be bad forever. Y'all ain't going to know. All right? This is how it goes. It says, let's get planted. Knock Satan out of health zone one and leave him slanted. But sometimes we take God for granted. Like I didn't connect to worship. I can't connect with people. You got to connect with God before you connect with people. That's like trying to build a church starting with the steeple. First we start with a solid foundation, Jesus Christ, the hope of the ages, the rock of our salvation. So let's get planted. Let's get connected. But in 2019, your post can no longer be neglected. Bars. Bars. All right. It just hit me. I was like, I just started writing. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? All right. John 15. Y'all ready to roll? I'm going to push through this stuff. I got quite a bit. I'm going to hit John 15, and we're just rolling through this, all right? John 15 says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than, excuse me, than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. I know I'm reading your ears off, but I'm going to read Matthew 3, 7, because it says the same thing a little bit of a different way, right? It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, it's talking about John the Baptist, Coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Sometimes I double down on scriptures because more than I want you to be listening to my preaching, I want you to realize that I'm just preaching to you out of the Bible, Right? I'm not putting together some type of super awesome message. I'm just taking what God has already given us and communicating it to you. And it has the authority, right? And, and I want you to also know what we're topically talking about, it's real and it's credibility is that it's inside of the Bible spoken very clearly to us, right? So he does this thing when he's talking right here. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand. You know what a winnowing fork is? A winnowing fork is like a harvest tool where you like, you get the wheat and you shake up all the chaff, all the junk up out of it so you can separate what's good and what's bad, right? This scripture is talking about, he says, he says, he says his axe is already on the root of the tree, Right? It's using all these things that have to do with agriculture and, 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 and trees and things that produce fruit, right? I want you to, I want to enter, I'm going to jump back to the beginning of John 15. And, I, and we're going to, verse 1 says this, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I want you to know all the, all the actors in this, this verse we're, we're talking about. He's saying God is the vine dresser. Jesus is, Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, okay? I, I just want you to know all the parts because this verse, when it starts, when the scripture, when it starts moving around, it goes all over the place, right? Like you can get lost real quick. You'd be like, hold on, who's the hairdresser and what kind of cut they getting? They getting a bob, no bangs, which one? You can get lost really, really quick, so you gotta know where we at with it. We got the vine dresser, we got the vine, and then we have us, the branches. Y'all with me? Verse 2 to 6, let me read this to you. 
So we have all the parties on verse 1, verse 2 through 6. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you see the independence that is spoken of right there, right? There is this thing where we become absolutely useless when we are detached from God, right? I showed it to you a couple of weeks in the scripture that, um, I don't have it here, but, but it's, it's in the scripture where it talks about, well, um, excuse me, I think it's 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, if you lack love, right? If you don't have love, we talked about that. Y'all remember that? So yeah or nay, let me know something. Y'all remember that? 1 Corinthians 13. If you can prophesy, if you understand all mysteries, if you go help and feed one million people or whatever, if you do all of these amazing things that the world will say you're absolutely awesome for, it still says you are nothing and it says you gain nothing. Because it says if you lack love, it says that it means absolutely nothing. The world may cheer you on. They may even make a statue of you. They may even make a day and dedicate it to you. The mayor may give you his key, but if you absolutely, if you lack the love of God, excuse me, I don't even have to say it like that. It's if you lack love because nobody owns the patent to love but God the Father through his son Jesus. So let's not make that word into a Hallmark card thing. When you see it in the Bible, it's talking about the love of the Father shown through Jesus Christ. But that scripture says if you lack love, you're nothing. Even though you have all of these things that the world will celebrate and say is amazing. And here it's saying, if you are not connected to the vine as a branch, then you're no good but to be just tossed away. You have no function, right? On verse 2, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, bears, bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, bears fruit, he prunes. Pruning is when you knock away anything that is dead, Right? Or anything that is superfluous. That word means, I think it's for how we view church in America. What it means is, it means an overgrowth, right? So it's, a weird, it's kind of a crazy concept because you, 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 you plant something and you want it to grow, right? Right? You want it to grow. But there's a kind of growth that isn't the right growth right? There's a kind of growth that's like, it's growing, but this thing is weird, right? We're so bent on numbers. Before in your church, first question they ask me, as if how many people are inside of the room makes us a real church or not, or speaks to our status or our power or not. You get where I'm coming from? I ain't worried about power in the city. I'm worried about the power of God living and working in through us, right? But this is the way that, from a carnal standpoint, we always size everything up. And if we want to be honest, a lot of y'all, y'all heard me a couple months ago. I said, hey, listen, I need some of y'all to consider whether this church is actually for you. Because we were superfluous. We had some people here, 
and I loved him to death. And I'm not even thinking about anybody specifically. But like I'm saying that we have a particular mission and a particular calling and some things that people actually may want, they're not going to actually get here because it's just not what we're going to do. And that doesn't mean they're bad or we're good or anything like that at all. It just means that there's maybe somewhere else that will actually do that for you, right? But there's a, there is a thing called being superfluous where you have growth. But we can get deceived in thinking that growth is the best thing in the world. And sometimes it's not the thing that God actually wants. Sometimes God is like, let me prune this thing back a little something. You get where I'm coming from? But the reason I put the weight of this text on you, and I want you to take it very serious, is because I want you to know that God is actually attentive to us. He's attentive to you and how you walk. Right? I don't want you halfway in out, halfway in, halfway out. I don't want you on your dead limb mode. I don't want you just there filling a seat to make numbers look good. You understand what I'm saying? That's not what the scripture is calling us to. He's saying hold tight to the vine. Hold tight to it because that's where the fruit is going to come forth. Y'all with me? Y'all awake still? His presence comes with provision, right? Let me read this right here. Verse 7, he says, this, like, this is, this is, I love this verse. Let me hear this. Let me watch. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 16, he says, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You don't hear phrases like that anymore, right? You don't hear people saying, ask me for whatever you need, and I'll give it to you. But here we are right here, and the Father is actually saying it to us. He didn't say, make sure your tithes are heavy, and you got an extra envelope with it. He doesn't say that. That's not what he's selling here. He's talking about being connected to the vine, being in the presence of the Lord. And the benefits that come from that, right? But I'm going to read James 4 to you. We covered this a couple, couple uh, maybe a month or so ago. Because James 4 kind of puts this in perspective. I've heard so many people abuse this, these different areas where God is like, ask me and I'll give you anything. But in James 4, he kind of brings a little light to it. It's James 4, James 4, I'm starting with verse 1. He says, what causes quarrels, around, quarrels and what causes fights among you? It is, not, is it not this? that your passions, which is your pleasures, are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now watch this. You do not have because you do not ask. My first thought is like, oh, okay, I'm about to get on my asking game. <laughs> then verse 3 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then he goes on, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's extremely important right there. And the reason it's so important is, is because what it's telling us is this connectedness to the vine actually steers our ask. And, and, and sanctifies it and makes it pure. You get where I'm coming from? 
So there is a condition there. God is like, I will give you anything. He said, but the problem is when you're asking, you're asking the wrong thing. You're asking out of the corruption of your heart, which comes from your being in the presence of the world versus the presence of God. You get where I'm coming from? It comes from a place of carnality. It comes from a, God, make me the person. Make me the man. Make me the person with the power, right? Make everybody worship me. God, give me status. Give me money. God, make me super mom and make all the other moms bow down to me. I don't, whatever it is, whatever's in our heart, whatever status we're dying to have, it starts to corrupt our ask, right? And we start making God into like I dream a genie or whatever, like, God, I want to throw a wish at you and you just grant it. Are y'all with me? But like this presence of God, it affords us this beautiful thing, but not only does it affords, afford us this, this promise from God, it also helps shape our ask into the right ask, right? It connects to the will of God and his desire, what he's actually doing through you and your purpose. You understand where I'm coming from? I'm gonna jump all the way down and read this scripture because it just seems fitting or whatever, but this is James five through seven. He says, be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Listen. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's saying right there, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. The messaging we are all going to get from the world and that they're going to bombard in our ears are that you are a fool waiting on the Lord. While you are showing up, serving in church, dealing with people with their attitudes, being a foot washer, being patient, they're going to say, you are a fool. There's bigger, better, brighter things we could be chasing after and doing. You got talent. They will love you out there. Let's get on our grind. Right? And the next thing you know, we've traded in all these beautiful things that we see in Psalms 84 that God is affording to us for something that's temporary and not real and leaves everybody shipwrecked. Y'all with me so far? Remember what I'm trying to do today. I'm just trying to convince you. I want our church to get on the good foot I want us to lean all the way in. God, how do we get more of you this year? But they're like, man, we look back at the prophets who stood steadfast, looking towards the Lord. They weren't crazy. They're in our, they're in our example. They're not, they weren't crazy. They weren't made to be fools at all. Everything they stood for was true. Hold on for me, there's something specific I want to show you here. In verse 7, we're still talking about God's faithfulness to us. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I don't want you to get this twisted because I'm not talking about, this isn't even about you having a preference and a dream in your ask. This is about the weightiness of God's goodness and his presence in your life being so much so is that the father works through you and makes his ask come back out of your mouth to him. To him. Does that make sense to you? Right? It's like, it's like sometimes just from being with my wife, I can actually feel whether she's weary or not, even if she doesn't say it, right? I can see her walk a certain way sometimes. And I would say, hey, babe, want a brother rub your feet for you? You get where I'm coming from? Here's the thing. I'm asking the question, but I didn't originate it. It sounds like it's my desire to do it, but I just got it from being in proximity with her. You get where I'm coming from? Because I don't want nobody to think I'm selling them I dream a genie, right? Or how many wishes can you have? That's not what I'm selling you. I'm selling you to be in such a place with God where your heart is unified with him so much that what you desire is actually spilling from the Father back out of you and to, to glorify him, right? It's a whole nother type of thing. That's a whole nother type of thing that believers are privy to. The world don't know nothing about that. All right? It's inheritance for us as children of God. Let me read verse 16 to you. I'm going to start trying to land this plane really quickly. Verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I will command you so that you will love one another. Says he chose you and appointed you. These words are so important, and let me tell you why they're important. They're important because you're not just a a blah. You're not just a person who uh, I kind of have a, a, a likeness towards God. You were chosen by the creator of the whole universe. You were actually appointed, right? So you actually have a purpose, right? You have a thing that God has actually created you to do, right? And, and this is important for those days when you wake up and Satan is already in your ear as soon as you open your eyes and he's like, you're nothing. You're a failure. You're the worst parent ever. You're the worst mom ever. You're a horrible dad. You're horrible at work. You can't get in. You forget everything. If Satan comes talking to you like that and you don't know who you are, 
If you don't think that you have a purpose given from the king of kings, you just get wiped up in that tidal wave. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Who knows about getting wiped up in that tidal wave? You can throw your hand in the air. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, uh, should abide. And then in verse 17 says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Like you were made to bear fruit. You were made that God would shine through you so much so that it would actually glorify him. And when people actually encounter you, they'd be like, what in the world's going on with that person? Right? Why is it in the midst of this storm and everything do they seem to have some type of peace that I just don't understand? I told mostly when I first started going to church, I was in church to, to plot a murder. I, was, I just needed a place to go to be quiet. I never went to church. So I was like, all right. And then they got in there praising and all that. And I'm looking at these people. These people are crazy as I don't know what. After a while, I got jealous. I'm, I'm not a believer. I don't go to church. I'm sitting there and I'm, plot, I'm thinking through how I'm about to roll up on this guy and kill him. But I'm looking at them and I'm like, what in the world are they seeing? Why are they hands lifted up crying? I'm like, either, either I'm high or they high, one or the other. Somebody on drugs up in here. I was like, somebody's, somebody's missing something. But it started compelling me. What was oozing out of them, I was just like, it started messing with my mind. Because the laugh they laughed, I, don't, I didn't understand it. All I laughed was at wickedness and all the wicked accomplishments of my friends, our stealing, our thieving, our manipulation. These people laughed, and it bothered me. It bothered me because I realized like there was a life in them that I was missing. I'm telling you that because don't you dare let the devil tell you you ain't up to nothing, and you're just floating. It's a lie. Let me tell you what God is up to. You know, when you're in a church, a church has a mission and it has a vision, vision and everything. But like you have to know what God is doing before you submit yourself to the church, to, to a vision of a church, right? God is building the church. That is one of the things he's doing. Um, and so you have to know that to lean in. And you have to know who he's called you to be to lean in. But I want to read John 3. 14 through uh, 21. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So God is lifting up his son Jesus so that people would have eternal life, right? That's part of the fruit. When Jesus is lifted up in you, in your life, in the way you love people, right? I'm not talking about in you being so good that everybody's like, oh, you're so good. I'm talking about when you fail, when you hurt people, you repent. I'm talking about in the fact that you actually lavish people with mercy because you're stumbling before God often and actually receiving mercy. Right? I'm talking about when you lay before the Lord and you enjoy his presence, you're like, God, I don't even deserve to be in here, right? 
You ever been to a party and you ain't even supposed to be in there or whatever, and you up in there and they like, yo, the trash needs to be taken out. You be like, yo, let me get that. I ain't even supposed to be in here, yo. These three hors d'oeuvres is crazy. Who made this joint? Like you just be on a whole nother level or whatever. You're so grateful. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting, excuse me, have eternal life. For we didn't say this so many times or whatever. I say it different, but anyway. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So this thing that God is doing, right? So let, let me go to the, back to this first scripture, and I promise you, y'all, I'm going to round it up with this. I know I keep on lying to you. We insert, we in church. I'll just repent, all right? Talking about grace. In the beginning of this right here, it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you know the story here in the Old Testament, God's people were in the desert. They ran into a little beef. They crushed their enemy, right? Crushed their enemy. And then they're walking through the desert, and they start complaining about God. And then they start complaining about Moses. They become very ungrateful for the presence of God, even though God had just assisted them in killing one of their enemies. Right? This is a perfect picture of our wicked heart. Like, we, we experience God's goodness all the time. But then we come at God sizing them up like, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. I don't like this. I don't like that. But anyway, they're doing their complaining, and God sends in, sends in these serpents as judgment, and the serpents start biting everybody and killing them. And then Moses, no, excuse me, the people, they come to Moses, and they say, Moses, we have sinned against God, and we've sinned against you also. Please pray to God to save us. They have this epiphany where it's like, God, even when you give us what we want, even when we come to you and say, like, give us our enemy into our hands and let us crush them, we're not even safe getting the fill. Nothing's ever enough. You get where I'm coming from? They got what they wanted. It wasn't enough. It just simply wasn't enough. And so they start complaining and murmuring because it's like, they didn't, they didn't appreciate the presence of God. But God in his mercy, this is what he does. He tells them, he tells Moses, he goes, I want you to make a bronze serpent. And he says, when people get bit, you hold it up. And when they look at it, they'll be healed. Right? So in verse 16, he says, for God so loved, excuse me. He says, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Our healing, the healing of the world, the healing of the people you encounter every day, your family members who you were just with for the holidays and you think that, you know, crazy Uncle Jimbo, whoever that howls all the time, 
That's crazy. But anyway, whoever your crazy uncle is or crazy auntie or whatever, you are the means for how Christ is lifting himself up high. You understand? He exalts you and puts you in these places. You may not think it's exalting, but like he takes you and puts you on an airplane and flies you into your, see your people. And you think you're just going on a trip, but he came for you to stand on the pedestal and lift his name high. You may think you just landed in this neighborhood and in this community, but he came, he, 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 he has you here to lift his name high. Because when people see him, they're healed. Do you get where I'm coming from? But if you're not in the presence of the Lord, you won't have nothing to give them. You understand what I'm saying? You can only give them what you're feeding off of. The Greek word for church is ecclesia, and it means a calling out and assembly. And so, church, I'm going to round this up by saying this. Y'all are called out. You are an assembly. You are chosen, and you are appointed. You are the church. In 2019, let's be serious about leaning into the presence of God. We'll get all the details and all the other things that are going to happen later, but nothing is going to be right if we are not enjoying the presence of God. Y'all with me? All right, y'all stand. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just worship you. We praise you today, Father. God, we thank you for your mercy, for your goodness, Lord. God, I pray, Father, Lord, that you would keep us filthy rich in your presence and keep us poor within ourselves, Lord. Help us, Father, Lord, to esteem the example of those in the word who have stayed steadfast. Help us, Father, Lord, to cherish you above all things. Help us, Father, Lord, to be overwhelmed by your mercy and your grace. That we will be quick to swat down condemnation. You just said in the scripture we read, you said, you said that, you, that you are, you're going to get rid of the chaff and the stuff that's worthless. And you said before us that abide in you, Father Lord, that you would actually prune us so we could actually bear more fruit. And then you reassure us in the next line and you say, you said, but you're already clean because you've received my word. So God, I pray that you would help us to actually have a peace that surpasses understanding because you, your blood makes us clean. And Satan has no grounds to condemn us, Father Lord. We thank you for conviction, but we stomp condemnation to nothing because it's simply not true. You didn't bring us into your marvelous light because of how good we were. You did because you are a loving God who saves wretches and wipes away sins. So we stand here as royal priesthood, as righteousness, because you are righteous and you've blotted out our sins in your goodness. And we are like children needy of you. Nothing is safe when we're not with you. I pray, Father Lord, that you would sanctify us into believing that more and more and more and more. That we would not be nonchalant 
about the beautiful things that you are doing in us and through us and around us. But we are, so we need you. We need you. God, I pray for anybody in here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and as their Savior, Father Lord. But they feel the gospel. They feel Holy Spirit poking at their heart right now, the same way I did in that church. And I looked at these people like, what in the world is wrong with them? I want, I want, to be, I want that to be wrong with me. Whatever's wrong with them, let it be on me. I want to smile again. I want to have hope. I want to know you, Lord. If there's anybody in here like that today, Father, I pray for them, Father, Lord, that you would grace them, grant them, walk them, continue to draw them to your son, Jesus. So we just praise you and we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>